everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 58 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about the Thomas Crown Affair on your nice little Renoir podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. And this week, we are joined by our friend, Laura stewart Barry, who jumped at the chance to talk to us about this movie. I am so glad that you're here, Laura. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to discussing some new beauty both. I've been listening to PCD from the start, so it's really exciting to be talking here on it. Ah, it's really nice to have you. When we were talking about what films you could come and talk to us about, this was a suggestion. You said, oh, has Mandy seen this? And I think all of us mm. talking about it at that time went, no, but that's a great film to talk about. So we, <laughs> we absolutely jumped at it. What's your history? Why was this such a, a top suggestion for you? Well, I love a good heist movie when they're done properly. But if I'm honest, I'd kind of forgotten about this film. And then I saw it was on Netflix a few weeks ago and remembered just how much I'd liked it years ago. Uh, in fact, I remember watching it for the first time on TV with my parents and dying during the staircase scene but uh, <laughs> loving it otherwise so I gave it another go and wow does it really hold up um, even after 19 years which is crazy uh, it's sophisticated and clever and thrilling and damn sexy um, it's got that kind of intelligent swagger and amazing chemistry and I've now watched it a lot this past week um, and it's <laughs> tied for my favorite film with Arrival uh, it's an elegant film about an elegant crime done by an elegant person that is a great way to describe it <laughs> That is a really good summation, yeah. <laughs> but I did nick some of that from the film. I don't know if you recognised it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, Mandy, you haven't seen this. Uh, any reasons? Honestly, I thought this was some kind of like crazy action drama movie. And so when it came out, I wasn't really into those. This was 1999, so I was still in high school. And then once I figured out that this was probably the kind of movie that I would be interested in, it was kind of dated because it was from 1999 and it had these people in it who just weren't that really famous to me. I didn't really care about Pierce Brosnan or Rene Russo, so I just never did. Um, what's a crazy action drama movie? <laughs> can, um, can I get examples of that, please? Not this movie. <laughs> um, Do you mean like a Die Hard? Yeah, like Die Hard or even like maybe James Bond-esque a little bit or... okay. Um, I don't know, something more serious than what this was. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it. Probably the closest thing I can describe it to would probably be like Ocean's Eleven. Mm. Okay. What I thought it was going to be like. And um, I just, I wasn't super interested in that in 1999. That's fair. I mean, it's not because it's a good film, but you know. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We we all know if if we've learned anything about me from watching the show is that I have had a very misguided past. That's why we are correcting it now. All right. Well, the Thomas Crown Affair is an American heist film directed by John McTiernan. It is a remake of the 1968 film of the same name, which starred Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. Released in August of 1999, this version stars Pierce Brosnan, Rene Russo, and Dennis Leary. The screenplay was written by Leslie Dixon and Kurt Wimmer, but director John McTiernan made several adjustments, including changing the heist from a bank robbery, as it was in the original, to a museum robbery. He felt that modern audiences would not be sympathetic with a man who robbed banks out of boredom. He also changed a polo match from the original film that was written into the new script into the catamaran race because he thought it was too cliché. Pierce Brosnan did his own stunts in that scene. Overall, the film had favorable reviews, and it grossed $124 million at the box office with a budget of only $45 million. Now, I tried to write a synopsis of this, 
but I found that I couldn't do any better than how IMDb wrote it. And they said, a very rich and successful playboy amuses himself by stealing artwork, but may have met his match in a seductive detective. Hmm. Oh, you don't like it. They're never quite on point. I'm not sure I'd describe him as a playboy. And I'm not sure I'd describe her as a detective. I don't know. I think he's quite playboy-esque, isn't he? You know, at the beginning, he enjoys women and, you know, he's basically James Bond, but doesn't kill people, as far as we know. Yeah. And she's basically an insurance detective. And she's definitely seductive. Mm, that's true. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that is true, yeah. I have no <laughs> quibble with that one, yeah. Um, <laughs> Mandy, how were you able to watch it? Uh, well, my boyfriend has a million movies, and he happened to have this one, so I did not have to rent it, which was wonderful. Great. Uh, Laura, I suspect you and I watched it in the same way. How were you able to yep, watch it? Yeah, Netflix UK came through this time. Um, Mandy, you thought it was a crazy action drama film. Mm-hmm. Um, any any other expectations for it? Well, I mean, because of that, and and because it was Pierce Brosnan and Renee Russo, which are are not two people who are really on my radar very often. I kind of thought it was going to be eh, just okay. I, I didn't really have high expectations for this movie. What's your experience of the of those actors then, and the director? Well, John McTiernan, I've seen Die Hard. And Die Hard 2, because we've done both of those on the show. <laughs> um, Pierce Brosnan, I will never see him and not think of Dante's Peak. Although now Mamma Mia <laughs> is pretty close up there now. <laughs> um, I am actually aware that Pierce Brosnan was James Bond. I've just never seen any of his James Bond movies. Um, I was surprised I've seen Rene Russo in as many things as I have, but most of them are from like the early 90s. Um, Outbreak, Ten Cup, Ransom, Yours, Mine, and Ours. And then, of course, she's Thor's mother in Thor. And then Dennis Leary. I have no idea why I know who he is. I just do. He's been in a lot of stuff because he did stand up for a while as well, didn't he? I have no idea. I, I know his face. I know his name. I looked through the list of stuff and I didn't recognize any of it. So I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> no idea. So having watched it now, did you enjoy it? I did. I absolutely did. I'm surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. If if you look at my thoughts doc, like it was kind of a roller coaster. And towards the end, I was just going back and forth and back and forth. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Did he do this? Did she do this? And I was just so invested by the end that I needed to know what was going on. And it was amazing. Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your sort of big reaction to it? Do, do you come away from this going, oh, this is a sexy and elegant film? Do you think the heist is really good? What about it appeal to you so much? Oh, that's a really good question. I think my favorite thing did end up being the relationship between Catherine and Tommy. Um, just because they really were two peas in a pod. They were made for each other because they were they were both really good at conning other people. Although nobody is as good a con as, as Tom's crown is. He surprised me a lot in this movie with, with how well and how elegant everything was that he did. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I liked that they kept me on my toes with what he was doing. I mean, because at one point I thought that this whole movie was the two of them conning the audience which would have been pretty spectacular if that's the direction they had gone. But I just, I couldn't quite stay on top of what was happening. And when I can't predict something, it makes me happy because that means it's not formulaic. And I get tired of formulas that I can predict what's about Mm. to happen. And I couldn't do that with this movie. 
Although I will say at the very end when she's crying on the plane, my immediate thought was, oh, he better be on that plane. And then he was. So I got there like right, right at the very end. But there were so many other stops in there that I just could not figure out. And and I really enjoy that in a movie because I like surprising. I like it when movies surprise me. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that really works for me with it. It's it's intelligent, it's clever, but it's not to the point of, say, something like Inception, where I had to keep stopping, going back and working out exactly what has happened. <laughs> and now I couldn't really tell you what happened in that film. But with this, you know... I still can't tell you what happened in that film. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. It, it, it was clever enough that you kind of went, oh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting what they're doing there. But it didn't get in the way of the enjoyment of the film. And I, I like a good uh, twist and surprise here and there. But even then, it, it, it still works on rewatches. Yeah, I can see that. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it because I just watched it two days ago. But I, I can see enjoying this again, especially now that I won't have that roller coaster, like quick thinking what is happening mindset. I can just watch it and enjoy it the next time. Yes, I thoroughly recommend a rewatch. I'm, I'm going to be uh, a touch negative, so I'm sorry. And I know I'm outnumbered. The thing I would change is the opening credits where you have people's names appearing and it swaps letters. The graphic swaps are the, the two R's in Rene Russo swapped around. That's pretty bloody and it's just, picky though, Matthew. <laughs> well, but that it set me up with the, oh, this is going to be about swapping things. So as soon as he puts the, the, the artwork back in the music, the, the he donates the, uh, the replacement artwork. I'm like, oh, okay. I think I can see what's about to come here. I had never made that connection. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and it's the problem when, you, when you're watching, you're like, okay, what's going to happen? What are they doing? Well, what are they doing with this graphic? It just it just set me expecting it somewhere. I didn't even notice that. Anyway. I've, okay. I've watched this film, I think, six times this week. That's never... <laughs> <laughs> but... I can be positive about almost the rest of the film now because it is a very, very good film. It's done very well. Mm. They have excellent chemistry. By and large, except for the other bit when they actually sleep together because it doesn't look comfortable. I'm not entirely sure either of them are enjoying well, it. It doesn't look comfortable, but I actually think it's probably one of the best sex scenes I've seen in the film. Because normally they're so earnest or awkward. And here, they do look like they're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I would say once they're not on a marble staircase. Or even the marble floor. Like, that's where they started, <laughs> yeah. on that hard, cold marble floor. And then they moved on to the stairs. And I made the same comment in my notes. I was like, that cannot be comfortable. But then right <laughs> after that, it cut to them in his bedroom, I uh -huh. guess. Or somewhere with a desk, something. Yeah. And they were having a lot of fun. She was laughing so hard mm. in that scene. I was like, now that looks like they're enjoying each other. They just had to get off of the steps first. <laughs> but if you have a staircase like that, you know, you've got to make some use of it, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have people as sexy as Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo have sex, it needs to be on a sexy, sexy staircase. Definitely. <laughs> um, you are absolutely right that watching things like that with parental <laughs> units is not the most fun. I'm so good. I've been like, it must have been early 20s. So I would have been visiting, but I just like, oh God, I can feel like I'm blushing now. <laughs> I, I can remember watching Sideways as a moment of a man <laughs> naked running down a road directly at the camera. It's like, oh, this is so awkward. <laughs> I wish we weren't watching this. In fact, I am. Um, I, I was just talking to my mum on the phone and mentioned that we were doing this. And she then you know, really lit up and she said it was one of her favourite films. Mm. started talking about it. 
And then uh, when she'd said the word, word sensual, within twice within 30 seconds, I just had to cut that dead. I just did not really <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Parents are people, apparently. Yeah, yeah, but also... <laughs> Okay, uh, Mandy, you made a couple of comments there about changing some of the elements of the film. So it's now no longer a bank robbery, it's an art heist. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that the the victims of this crime are maybe the patrons of the museum, but it's actually the people who own it because it's such an expensive piece of art. Right. Um, so that they've changed this into something that's almost harmless. Mm-hmm. Not quite victimless, but, it, but it's much more harmless. And the film in general does a lot of work to make him very likable. Oh, yeah. Um, the, when I was saying before about him not being a playboy, it's because it opens up being he doesn't like people slouching around his building. He's not too happy with the person smoking. He's got a kind of austere proper thing going on. Yeah, I think that's meant to be the British thing, though, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think, though, I think the word playboy is appropriate, though, because our introduction to him is Faye Dunaway, who is dressed very seductively herself talking to him about whether or not he can trust women and if women can trust him and how how is he with women in his life and it was it was setting him up to be a playboy i don't know another way to to work i don't know another word that works there but it wasn't it wasn't setting him up to be like a husband or a good romantic partner it was setting him up to be somebody who bounces around and, and doesn't have solid relationships and that sort of thing, which doesn't really have much to do with the plot of the movie itself. Um, so I, I think it's kind of weird, but it, it was an introduction that even though the movie itself does work really hard to make him likable, that introduction mm-hmm. did not help in that cause. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually watched the original and they really, there is a, mm. I feel there's a big difference between the way they treat him in the, the original and then in this remake. Yeah, it really did great, the fact that it was a bank robbery and the the way he, he wasn't even involved in it. He just hired the guys. Um, and it did, it was all about winning, but somehow they managed to make Piers Brosnan charming whilst doing it. Yeah, the, the heist itself, certainly that first one, is very, very clever. It's very well done. Yeah. Um, I, I love the bit that he gets in front of the lorry that's got the the horse in it. So they're already beginning to set up links between things. They call attention to the suitcase so you know there's something going on with him. Mm, so it's yeah. doing a lot of very clever work and then that's paying off when we're seeing what that lorry goes and does. And we see her spotting the detail about the, the briefcase. So it's it's adding on, okay, he's done something very clever and she's spotted it because she's just as clever as he is. Yeah, though with, with the briefcase, I mean, I'm now starting to pick holes in this film I love, but there's a few... There are a couple of just small things that you can question, such as, <laughs> so they see the additional uh, leg on the bench, so it's the, the hmm. briefcase heater thing. But why don't they go back in the CCTV see who put it there? Well, I wonder if they only mm. keep like CCTV footage for maybe 24 hours or something, and then maybe it was already yeah, maybe. gone. Maybe they couldn't go back much further than... Because I would assume that with him planning something like this, he wouldn't have put it there the same day i could be wrong no he puts it there when he goes in and um eats his breakfast and mm. looks at oh his. that's right that's mm. right so i maybe yes, they just couldn't go friends. back that far okay okay i'll allow that one okay how's he fold them on a then i don't that one i i, I i'm still baffled mm-hmm. that he did <laughs> i was yeah. like what there was 
oh, there was a comment somewhere that they actually changed the mechanism in the suitcase or the way it was supposed to do it because originally we saw him breaking the frame so he could do it and he, and the, they had this whole thing mm-hmm. of no we can't see him destroying stuff so let's just see it folding rather than breaking yeah part of him being the, the charming thief mm. yeah and okay so so finally with my whole picking how did he steal the second painting yeah that's i i mm. like that they leave it with no detail on it because we've seen all the clever stuff he, he does and then the the second heist later on but it's, there's just nothing in there to show yeah, what he might have done. It. it is just gone. I read something Magic. that the director had been asked this question. He said he had the slightest idea. <laughs> so, so we'd just run with that. Yeah. <laughs> because nice. he's clever. Mm. <laughs> I, I thought when the, the fire shutters couldn't close over the painting he donated, I wondered if he donated it in a frame that was too large. Yeah, that that's what I thought. That, mm. Because it does seem weird and, and, to, to me that, that pencils would be strong enough to prevent their shutters from closing. <laughs> like, those pencils should have snapped like twigs. These, these were super right? strong Thomas Crown pencils, though. <laughs> Probably a gadget or something. Okay. <laughs> They're more than a 3H, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we don't even see him putting them in there. Like, clearly there are opportunities because we see him going back mm. to the... Uh, back to the museum so at some point he's done that which is quite quite nice um to see that he set that up to show what he's done yeah and it all feeds into the idea of he's doing this because he's a little bit bored <laughs> there's no again always the likable thing he's not doing this because he's you know the the classic lex luther type trying to steal and make as much money as he can he just oh. This looks like a, a, a fun jape. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it whenever he took the painting home and then he just hung it on his wall. Um, mm. Because I, I was thinking, wow, he really is just doing this because he enjoys art. And, you know, this isn't some money-grubbing mm. crime. He's just doing it because he thinks it's beautiful. And then it got even better when you realize that he took it back like two days later. Yeah, like, He just did it because he can. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed that. It made me laugh, and I like things that make me laugh. Yeah, I like I like the humour. There's kind of a cheekiness the way he does stuff. So, like McCann points out the Trojan horse. You know, someone has a sense of humour, uh, and yeah, I I think he it's a very stylish way of um, pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yeah, I I didn't expect there to be a lot of humour in this movie because, like I said, I was expecting it to be like a serious action slash drama film. And that's not what we got. And and so it was starting from the beginning of the movie, the music was very, very strange for the movie that I was expecting. It was very upbeat and very peppy, but then it was kind of like overlaid with some foreboding, like notes and sounds as the heist mm. was happening, um, or at least the heist that we thought was happening was happening. And then you get to the, the scene where he's sitting on the bench outside of the mm. gallery and he sticks his foot out and trips one of the the robbers and in that mm-hmm. moment i was like okay i have to completely change my framework on this movie because this is not what i expected i was like a serious like james bond-esque movie is not going to have him sticking his foot out and tripping the bad guy and that was the moment i realized wow okay this has some humor and this has a little bit of everything and then i really started to kind of just like let go and and enjoy it at that point which was really nice yes uh, so laura you were saying you, that you've watched the original uh, and one of the famous bits from the original is the scene where they play chess with each other. Yeah. Sexy, sexy chess play. Um, sexy chess. 
I think the dancing works significantly better. Oh god, it's so much better. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you may have guessed I was not impressed with the original. Uh, I, I, obviously, very biased. Anyway, going into it, but yeah, I'd read about this this chess scene, and I was thinking, oh, it's going to be amazing. Um, and to be fair, it was hampered by the fact that uh, I may get some flack for this, but uh, Steve McQueen, I cannot see as an attractive man, and the chess scene is it's it's quite suggestive. Um, what actually made me somewhat gasp as to what Faye Dunaway um, it's... does with one of the bishops. But it, yeah, the, the dancing was so much better. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not even subtle with her stroking the chess pieces and sort of pulling her dress slightly to the side to distract him. It's like, uh, okay, this is a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it, it, felt, it felt a bit amateur, if I'm mm. honest, um, for the seductress. Um, but I mean, one of the things also I think that they did so much better in this film is maintaining that tension between them. Um, mm. You know, quite often in films and TV, I'm particularly thinking of Ross and Rachel and friends, uh, the tension is the will they, won't they get back, get together. And then uh, Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they get back together. And so, you know, the films quite often, it's it's right at the end that they get, get together because after that, it's boring. Um, but with this, the fact they maintained that tension with the whole, you know, do they can they trust each other? Are they really in this mm. for for the good or, or just to play each other? I thought that worked really well. You are absolutely right. Um, that's so on point that even when they're together, yeah, you would still believe that she would turn him in if she could get enough proof. And they, they actually set up that he is mm. running. He is he knows that this is now a dangerous situation. He potentially wants out. So there's no there's no faith that they're going to remain together or that they're not going to um uh not not betray. Betray is too hard a word, but you know, not end up as a couple because they, they have other priorities in their lives. So so as you said mm. you just said it's a happy ending, they end up together. Do you guys think it's happily ever after? Mm. <laughs> I am a sucker and a hopeless romantic, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> realistically mm. no because these two can never trust each other for long because they're both cons but i'm gonna pretend that they have overcome that and they live happily ever after i mean short term i really want that stewardess to tell him to sit down or tell her to sit down <laughs> i don't care that they're kissing they're causing a ruckus Yes, I was a little uncomfortable by that, honestly. I was like, if, if if a woman flung herself over the back of a seat and started, like, making out with the guy in the chair behind her, like, that's uncomfortable for everybody else on the plane. <laughs> and they're just watching and smiling. No! <laughs> He's probably tipped the, the, the hostess, hasn't he? She's probably not even a hostess. Oh. She's probably got a mask on and is one of his henchmen or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I suspect they do because they they set up that opening with Faye Dunaway of if the woman's interests mm. are in line with his, then he can trust her. Yeah. And I think there is an element that she's not necessarily going to become a, a criminal, but also he's not a criminal because he's after the money. He's doing it for some excitement, so she is now his excitement. Yeah, that's quite difficult to me. Oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think for a short period, absolutely, but I just can't see it being long term. Unfortunately, sorry, Mandy. No, no, I, I totally am aware that I live in a delusion. It's fine. It's fine. Hmm. I, I was amazed in the original. They make some comment about, oh, he's this 36-year-old industrial <laughs> millionaire or something. I'm like, he is not 36. It's like, oh, no, 
Steve McQueen was actually 38 at that point, but he looks significantly older than Pierce Brosnan does in this. Yeah, I think he's hmm. meant to be 42 in this, and Pierce Brosnan's 45. Yeah, and I think that is his actual 45. age, yeah. And yeah, she is she is an equivalent age to him. Mm. So they've not done the usual thing of, you know, these days they would cast her. Well, one of the Fanning sisters or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favourite things, really, is that they have gone for someone with an equal mm. power dynamic, and it isn't, you know, just trying to things out by her being mm. young and beautiful um because she's 44 i think when she makes this um and only a year younger than him i think that's really unusual but welcome yeah definitely mm. Mm. and that's absolutely one of the things like like you were saying that gives them that chemistry because there's not we're not questioning the differences between them or him winning her over despite her age or something yeah so what's the sean connery film that's a bit like entrapment, yeah. Because I was fa- I liked entrapment, but found it quite creepy mm. because of the the massive age difference, and not just in the actors, yeah. the way that the characters, you know, the, their personalities as well. They're just so different in maturity. Mm. Mm. Okay, I have a question that's about okay. something completely different. Was it realistic to you guys that the the New York <laughs> Police Department would actually give her that much access and authority to their investigation? Am I the only one who found that a little bit odd? I know, yeah, it, it is a bit odd. Um, I assumed it's because of the, the money you're talking about and the Swiss insurers being involved that they would have some kind of political pressure. And also the, from mm. the, the okay. Met as well, that there would be that kind of political pressure to, to do whatever it took to get the painting back. Yeah, he does give them the painting to replace it. But I also, this is perhaps taking it too seriously, but this police precinct's beat is obviously including the museum so perhaps they're used to uh, not necessarily high profile crimes like this but insurance crime fraud things like that happening destruction of property and dealing with people not necessarily like her but (laughs) insurance investigators maybe possibly okay so then (laughs) why was she a better cop than the cops were (laughs) i mean she's the one who noticed the the different number of legs on the bench they didn't even notice that the names were different of the people they were looking yeah. for. Like, oh, these two people have the same last name, so they must be the same person. Like, mm. was that just poor writing? Was it just written to make her seem so much better? Like, I had a little bit of a hard time with that. It, it gives her her credibility, doesn't it? By doing them down. It does, but it completely diminishes the cop's credibility. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think you're right. I think they probably played that a bit too far um, because McCann isn't meant to be a uh, incompetent cop. It's just that she's meant to be so competent. Um, but I think he does say, late, at least later on, that he really doesn't care about this stuff. So I think there's an element of that. Whereas this is yeah, her yeah. world. You know, I think she immediately knows which forger one of the forgers is talking about um, and says, you know, Bart's a small world, Michael. Um, and the fact that she, particularly with this criminal, she knows his world and the fact that she can interest him in ways that Michael can't and get, you know, as she got into his flat and got his keys and things. I think there is that, you know, she has that benefit. But I think I think you're right. It's mainly just to emphasize her competence and intelligence, which are a bit heavy handed on. I think they could have. I think you're right. They could have scaled that back. Right. I, I also it's. It's making me think about the way they're obviously building her character and the actual forger that he uses, who is implied to be a sort of bit on the side, perhaps. The young blonde girl. Yeah. Who I think she gets a name, 
but doesn't get any lines. <laughs> Despite being on on screen a couple of times. And you've got Faye right. Dunaway who has some lines but doesn't have a name. Yeah, I really liked the fact that the that she turned out to be the forger. I think that was a really good. And I, from the beginning, I didn't believe that mm. she he was with her because um, it seemed clear he was setting that up. But I didn't expect her to be the forger. Her to be the forger. I love that she wasn't just the pretty pretty blonde girl. That there's more to her. Yeah, it, it, that is a really clever twist as well. Mm. That the sort of um, he's like putting the artwork in everyone's face but mm. covered up. He, he's putting the forger in everyone's face and being like, yeah, go and figure it out if you can. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so by and large, the primary response that we got from folks when we, we said we were going to do this movie was specifically comments about Rene Russo and how she dressed, mm. how she moved, how she looked. Um, that that seems to be that the, the main thing that, that stands out to people that they remember in this movie um, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I'm jumping ahead somewhat, but I think Rene Russo is my favourite thing about this movie. Um, and her character, she's so well-written, she's capable, she's smart, and she's really confident in her sexuality, and so she's powerful, but she's so vulnerable. I mean, that line when she says, women, uh, men make women messy, and then later on she breaks down. And yeah, and the fashion, I could just, oh, I could go on forever for the fashion. If, if I could... If I won the lottery, I would be straight on the phone to a uh, personal shopper basically wanting the modern equivalent of all of that, which is amazing. It's like 19 years old, and it really does um, stand up. I think a lot of it was uh, Celine and Michael Kors with designing for them. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just have a whole long list here, actually, of all of my favorite outfits, which I won't bore you with, but, uh, yeah. I think I agree with you about all of her clothes that she was wearing. I kind of want most of them. Um, but I was distracted by the dress she wore to the the ball, if you can even call it a dress. <laughs> I think that was the plan. <laughs> and <laughs> um and, and I mentioned that on, on Twitter and I think I, I had made the comment that mm. I thought the dress was a little bit tasteless. And I got a response from our friend Jen at Generosity and she said while I might not like the tastefulness of the dress she wore, I think she deployed it masterfully. She needed to send a message to him that she can navigate his world and break the rules and get what she wants. And I really appreciate that perspective because it is it is saying that, that she is empowering herself to get what she wants. She is not just trying to be a sex object. She is using what she has to get what she needs. And that I can appreciate more than let's just put this hot woman on the screen in this piece of fabric that you can clearly see all the way through. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point because I've kind of been going back and forth on how feminist I think she is as a character because, you know, you'd say she, she by using her, her sexuality and her wiles, it's not exactly very um, politically correct, but it is. It's her using whatever it is she's got at her disposal, um, including the the fact that she is a very attractive woman and you know what she can can get out of him just by which is really mm -hmm. ridiculous that she can put on the dress and dance about and and get information from him but uh it worked right because i don't think when she put that dress on she was intending on ending up sleeping with him or having a relationship with him i think she really was just trying to use it to bait him into getting the information that she wanted uh which is a, a very different thing than you might expect. Mm, I think you're right, actually, because I, I 
wondered about that as to whether she thought that was coming along but then it's when he says do you want to dance or do you want to dance which is a great line um and you can see she before she goes into the kiss she does look at him for quite a long time and it does look as if she's making up her mind there right Matthew what were your thoughts on the dress (laughs) I really want to make some casual joke about oh I only looked at her eyes you know um no she looked superb but I think Exactly like you say, it ties in with she is a uh, strong and confident character. She's not just the way she looks. And arguably, it's only that point she starts going mm. for looking good to be a distraction or, or a, as part of her arsenal. Whereas, again, if I compare it to Faye Dunaway in the original, she is stunning. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And her characterization about her quality comes because she just comes up with ideas randomly. We don't we don't get walked along the step of here's how mm. she got to that point. She just is inspired to come up with this idea to get someone to to um, dob in a mate for some money, and so so the, her dressing in that way and acting like that with him, yeah, it's absolutely all about getting information, trying to put him off guard. That she knows that is a way of doing it. And I think there's also, uh, I did say I could talk about the fashion for ages, so there is something, there's a big difference actually between the dress and a lot of her other clothes, because the rest of them, they're very sexy, but they're mm. very elegant. You know, the mandarin collar on the first sequin dress, you know, there's not a lot on display there, but she's she's still incredibly attractive in it. And I think there is a real big difference then. You suddenly jump to this, she puts on the, the break him dress. Um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, and and I think that there's a real distinction then between her normal style and then when she decides to go in for the kill. Mm-hmm. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, and particularly when she first turns up and she's got, I think, that kind of uh, reddish suit maybe. And particularly with her hair as well. She's got the Dana Scully look going on. So we know what she's coming in styled as, but utterly mm. capable and just taking control of the situation. No, I think not even taking her sunglasses off. We were introduced to her using her sexuality from the beginning, though, because her first interaction with the detective was when she puts her leg and, like, inches her toe up right next to him. And she's got that slit in her skirt that goes all the way up. And you can see the top of her thigh high. And and she's just like, I don't even remember what she said. um, But what she said wasn't what I expected (laughs) from what she was showing us. And so, I mean, she kind of came out of the gate with, with both barrels. Well, maybe one and a half barrels since that dress was both barrels. But, I mean, she used everything that she had to get what she wanted and to get into where she needed to be. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right with, with McCann there. But I think with Tommy, she shies away from doing that. I, th- I think if she'd gone straight in with the sexy with Tommy, um, I think perhaps that might put him off. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yes, I'd completely forgotten that first time that she turns up. And she's got the slits. You can see she's wearing these thigh highs. And it's just, oh, that's that's possibly a bit much. But then they don't go to that again. So it's Mm-mm. just for the introduction. Right. All right. Well, we are veering very heavily into the gushing territory about this movie. So let's jump into our favorite moments that we haven't already talked about since we've kind of done a lot of that already, too. Matthew, do you want to go first? Uh, No, because we've pretty much covered my two bits. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I will continue to just gush on her hair because, like I say, it comes in with this Dana Scully look as well, uh-huh. um, which obviously as an X-Files fan I like anyway. And 
yeah, she looks wonderful. Not not even taking the sunglasses off, just completely controlling it. Her the the whole introduction and her style is is fantastic. It it sells so much of the film so well. I can agree about her hair. I was watching this and I was like, huh, my hair is almost that long. I wonder if I can get my hair to be that thick and to look like that. <laughs> because she does have pretty great hair. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, the the color suits her a lot better than um, Black Widow. Yes, we we watch we watch Ghost in the Shell, and suddenly seeing Scarlett Johansson with black hair is like, oh, that works on her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mandy, what were your other favorite bits? I absolutely adore that she calls him Tommy. I would be willing to bet that nobody else in the world calls Thomas Crown Tommy, hmm. and it just cracked me up, and I loved it. Um, I also really loved the scene where he's he's basically baiting her and trying to make her want to look at this unknown painting to prove that he has the Monet. And she doesn't believe him and she doesn't bite and she throws it in the fire. <laughs> and then you can see that moment of pure panic on her face knowing that there was actually a painting in there. She just didn't know which one it was. <laughs> and I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And then I've, just, I've, I've already ta- gushed about how much... I loved that I just didn't know what was happening. I feel like that is the sign of a masterful script writer because it wasn't predictable. It wasn't formulaic. And I was constantly trying to figure out who did what, how they did it, and what was going to happen next. And those things just make me happy when I watch a movie. Uh, while we were watching it, there was a, a comment that you've made in your notes that Catherine made here as well. The 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 feeling that the film is setting you up to it the the film is lying to you. Yes. That it's it's holding some information back or there's gonna be some sort of twist there. And I, I I don't know if that's because there's a very sort of modern sensibility in films of giving you a twist and giving you that surprise and excitement. But it almost doesn't. The 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 reveal at the end is pretty good that the thing is there. But we were particularly expecting it to be she's in on the job with him or she's trying to steal it or something extra. And it it doesn't need that. It it is so good that it doesn't have it, that it is absolutely doing what it's showing you. And they're just trying to outwit each other. It's stronger (laughs) for not having anything mysterious going on. Oh, I absolutely agree. But I was so stuck in that I have to figure out what's happening that my brain just kept getting bigger and bigger. If that makes sense. (laughs) Because everything that I was thinking wasn't what was happening. Like, I was wrong at every turn. And so I kept getting bigger trying to figure out what they were doing. And I should have been going the other way. Hmm. So, Laura, um, you, you've held back pretty well during this. So you can now give us both barrels of your, your gushing and your favorites for this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, so many, I mean, everything you've said already... Uh, and, and the things we said before about Rennie Reese's character and her being so well written and and so well acted and, and the fact that they they kept the very small age gap between them and Piers Brosnan just looking damn fine in a suit. Um, but also some smaller things. I, I love um, when they're in the car and McCann just points to how ridiculous Catherine and Tommy's glamorous lives are with that line where he says, um, she keeps an apartment, I keep goldfish. Um, and <laughs> yeah. we have got these characters running around in this this crazy um, um for most of us unrealistic uh life so i do like the kind of grounding you have with him and his his experience and you know, things like mm. when they cut to him in his apartment hearing that she went home alone the first time and he's just there with like the tv on in the background and having a bottle of beer i do think it's quite a nice um 
just just grounding that, that everything that's going on this isn't really normal life for most people um i really like the fact that they um, recast um faye dunaway again and used from the original and this kind of greek chorus that she provides of commenting on his um inner um i don't know if it's turmoil really because i'm not sure if he is feeling that way but but just his inner life um although she is frankly a rubbish therapist because if i went to someone who just laughed at me at the time i don't think i'd be going back again mm. <laughs> yeah yeah i i suspect she's probably finds it hard to be too sympathetic to him giving his means and access to everything yeah it uh, i find that really interesting because i was i was thinking exactly the same thing why why have they added that in that they're having the therapist and, and it is just so we get a bit of his side of the story yeah it's not just us seeing her falling for him we're also seeing a bit that he's falling for her but he doesn't have a friend or anyone around him to show that to so it's it's quite useful to have her in there. Yeah, I think so. I think it works really well. Um, and I like the fact she seems to be having lots of fun with it. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> do we do we think she has a crush on him? She, it's a little flirty. And in the same room, of course she does. <laughs> <laughs> and to continue my gushing, um, it's a really little thing, but just when Bobby um, at the museum gets his baton out, and starts going after the thieves. And because you just don't, he's had this like lovely avuncular character, and I love mm. the fact he's got that little bit of steel. And mm. similarly, um, Peretti um, McCann's partner, just this constant amusement he's got when seeing the interaction between Kathleen and McCann. Uh, yeah, I found him. I, I listened, I think I read somewhere someone talking about comparing this to Die Hard and saying that McCann is McLean and that Peretti is his owl. Which I thought was an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, what else have I got? Oh, right at the end, the, just the little look that um, Piers Brosnan <laughs> gives her um, when he's in the plane and she looks over the seat to see he's there. And it's this kind of apologetic, wary look because he's not really 100% sure she's going to be okay with everything that's happened seeing as she's there in tears. Um, and it's just a tiny thing, but I just thought it was, it's done so well. Yeah, they've still got that tension between them even right at the end where it should all be nice and lovely and stuff because neither of them have gone, oh, and I love you. Oh, and I love you too. Yeah, I just I think he's a little bit scared of her and I think that's all right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and when she launches herself at him, you know, I was sitting there saying she needs to punch him and then she needs to kiss him and she kind of yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was great. There was a line, you know, you said about mm. Pierce Brosnan looking good in a suit. Um, I saw a, a great thing that because when she goes to the ball, he's I think yeah. in an evening suit, but his bow tie is undone. And there was something about how he had something in his contract about he couldn't actually be in a tuxedo whilst he was being James Bond. So that was the closest they could get him to it. <laughs> and it looks better, I think, when it's open anyway. Yes, the the self tied ones. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. ones not so much. Don't try that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also, when I was reading, I saw something about someone saying that they thought Thomas Crown would make a great Bond villain, which I really like. Mm. Um, this is kind of, he's kind of the the Bond I wish he'd been in a way, because I really liked him as Bond, but I didn't like the writing of Bond at the time, because it had got just too reliant on silly gadgets and things. And so this okay. this kind of slightly jaded, yeah, um, smooth, but not sickly so. Um, I think that would have been a really nice way for him to do Bond, but unfortunately we uh, we didn't get mm. it. 
Yeah, it's almost closer to Daniel Craig. Yeah, yeah, And the absolutely. way they did Pierce Brosnan. But mm. Pierce Brosnan is prettier. Yeah. So. I'd get that. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about the Thomas Crown Affair? But was there anything else in your conversation with your mum you wanted to cover? No. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's it's really nice that she likes it as much as you, though. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I mm. it crosses the generation. My mum's quite young, but um, sorry, she's like very young, very young. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it really does, and I think it, I think it's kind of because it works. It works in so many ways. You've got the thriller, and you've got the caper, and you've got the romance, and um, uh, and yeah, I I think it. Well, sorry, I'm just gushing again now. But um, oh, there was one other thing. I, have either of you seen or read any of the Fifty Shades of Grey? Yes. Well, I've read them. I haven't seen them. Maybe I'm not admitting to it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't they just completely... Didn't she steal the glider scene from this? Because it felt exactly the same. It's been so long since I've read it, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And if it was in the movie, I haven't seen the movie, so... Yeah, I, I can't remember if it's in the movie. It's possible. I mean, cons- considering that... You know what? I'm not going to say that, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Are you going to put them on your list? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna. I was gonna say, considering that the the whole premise of of Fifty Shades is that she stole it, she probably did steal something from from the Thomas Crown Affair too. So true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and the only other thing that I noticed, that I found interesting, when I was kind of researching, is there is talk of a third remake. Did you see anything about this? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw talks of a sequel. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, apparently, John McTiernan wrote a, the screenplay for a sequel while he was in prison. Okay. He said that in like 2014, um, but I didn't see anything uh, beyond that when I was uh, reading about it. Um, but I didn't see that that someone else was planning on another remake. So that sounds interesting, maybe. Yeah, wasn't there one of the guys from Fantastic Four, I want to say? Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. Hmm. I think was he uh, Flame Boy or whatever he's called. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I, I... Wait, he was going to play Thomas. Cowell? Yeah. But that is from a few years ago, and it's still on IMDb as in development. Um, hmm. Huh. I I feel like he might be a little young. I think there is something about the having worked for it and gotten to this point of I've done everything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure the people who loved the first one when they saw this as a remake thought, oh, it's going to be awful, so perhaps we should give it a chance. Mm. If there was a sequel, Laura, would you want to see anything particular in it? Obviously not necessarily now, because the time has probably passed, but if they were to do something with these characters. I'd love to see that, you know, they go on their criminal career and and it's both of them. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see them doing heists together. (laughs) That would be wonderful. Yeah, that I would, yeah, I'd like that. (laughs) And we have another investigator. <laughs> Thomas Grand Affair 2, <laughs> Menage à Toi. I wasn't where my mind was going, Matthew, but fine. <laughs> um, I, I like to suggest similar films, and there aren't a huge amount of similar films to this, um, but thinking on the thing of people on either sides of the law. Um, Mandy, a couple of films you might possibly want to check out if you've not seen them. Uh, Entrapment, we mentioned earlier. Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. I have not seen. Okay. It, it is a bit of fun, but it's also very silly. Um, and like Laura says, it's possibly a bit creepy. Uh, yeah, it, it's still, I still find it fun. So yeah, it's worth a watch. 
Uh, there's a film called Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. I also have not seen it, though I'm not sure why, because I like George Clooney. Yeah, that's that's one of his first, one of his early films, but one of the first times it's like, oh, yes, this guy could be a proper movie star, not just a TV actor. Okay. Maybe mm, I did see good. it, but I just don't remember. I don't know. They have good chemistry. That's okay. a good one. Um, and then I will admit there were points of watching this and going, if I didn't know this was a remake, I'd think this was them doing Heat, but with a man and a woman rather than two men. Because um, Heat has not the same story, but some of the same tension between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Have not seen that one either. Okay. That's a solid film. I feel like you've mentioned it before. I suspect so. Okay. It is one of my favorites, so. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, I may well add them to the list. But Laura, do you have anything you'd want to uh, see if Mandy's seen it or not? Yeah, just too many, though. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think we've got quite some of the taste, so there's lots of things that I've not actually seen uh, that are on the list, so it's a good opportunity for me to see things. But um, stuff I have seen. Is Arrival too recent for you guys? Uh, we've both already seen it. Oh, oh, it's so good, isn't it? Um, okay. But no, it's not too recent. We are happy to watch any films. Okay. Um, how about Before I Go to Sleep? It's Nicole Kidman. That one I actually just looked up because I hadn't heard of it. I have not seen that one. Oh, yeah. I'd already recommend that one. Have you seen it, Matthew? I don't think so. Um, Nicole Kidman and Colin Firth, like, sign me up for that. Yeah, and it's, I read the book <laughs> first, um, and uh, I really recommend the book as well, but it's one of those ones where you, you don't 100% know what's going on, and it's unrevealed. Um, but, and, and the other one would be, I don't know if you have seen any Bond, but if, I think you can, if you see some of it for the list, then Casino Royale. Uh, Casino Royale is the only Bond movie I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Okay, well, that would have been my recommendation. But in that case, then before I go to sleep, that's yeah. Okay. And we want to say thank you to everybody who uh, gave us feedback for this movie and, and this show. And if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can also email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Uh, Laura, thank you very much for sharing one of your favourite films with us. This has been a fascinating watch and really great to have you on. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. That's probably the best thing. That's at Laura underscore Esperi. Excellent. Go find her. She shares fascinating things about the city. <laughs> okay, pressure. There's always go- goings on. It's like, oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, that's oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing <laughs> when you're on a career break, you have a lot of time to see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop other shows. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit the homepage, eloquentgushing.com, for the latest news and announcements on our newsletter and to find the other shows that we do. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Parks and Rec Season 5. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I hate being a foregone conclusion. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.